And we are back. Screen Heat Miami. Another week from the quarantine. Screen Heat Quarantine. Things are reopening. What is happening with the industry? Little by little. Uh, But first, this is Screen Heat Miami. I am one of your hosts, Gail Martinez, with... This is Kevin Sharpley here in the fresh quarantine room. (laughs) Yes, sir. And as always, we are brought to you by the Miami Media and Film Market, Digic Multimedia, Chemical, and Cinevision. Love it. Uh, Today's guest is a very interesting uh, television executive from Los Angeles. Uh, She's going to be one of our guests next month at the MMFM 10. Uh, But she was uh, very nice to be a digital guest last uh, week. And so we're going to bring you the entire interview on our podcast today. Gloria Fan, who is with Fox 21 Television, which is now part of the Disney Television Studios. Yeah, this is a great interview. I really, really uh, enjoyed the interview. You did a phenomenal job. And, you know, within that short amount of time, you were able to cram in so much information. She's had a storied career working biggest shows in television history. So, and some of my favorite shows. So this was really amazing to to really hear uh, what she had to say. I was hoping to hear a little bit more about Sons of Anarchy. Right. <laughs> Which is a show that um, I ended up having to binge that in about three weeks, seven seasons, because Tommy Flanagan did a voiceover for one of my projects. And mm. for whatever reason, and he's one of my favorite actors, um, I wasn't able to really um, dive into Sons of Anarchy. And a lot of his conversation was about you know, Sons of Anarchy. So when we actually did the voiceover from the time that I spoke with him first to the time we did the voiceover, it was about three weeks or so. So I really, really cut my teeth on that show. It was amazing. So well done. Well written. Uh, Kurt Sutter, who then went on to um, become one of the creators of Mayans, which, you know, she really uh, dove into and you showed a clip of that. Uh, Mayans looks, you know, phenomenal. And I remember Mayans being on that first pilot episode. So That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, we focused more on Mayans because that was more Gloria's show. I don't think she worked on much uh, on Sons of Anarchy. Uh, so uh, she, she, she was uh, more on these on the spinoff show uh, Mayans, and and we talked about that show, obviously about Homeland, that amazing run that they had on Showtime, uh, which the series just ended uh, a couple weeks back. Yeah. Yeah, no spoilers. I, I haven't watched the, the final episode, but uh, definitely another one of my favorite shows. And, you know, what I really loved about both of the shows, um, all three of the shows, and the writing is extraordinary. And um, cinematically, you know, they're very well done, as you know, but just, uh, you know, to be able to carry shows for that amount of time, for that long, um, is really a test to what she says, which is the strength of the people that worked on the show. And that's, you know, from writing to producing to directing and and crew and the list goes on and on. So, you know, what we're all wondering is, you know, when is this all going to come back? Hmm. I think this is really a moment where people are having a better understanding, a bigger understanding of what entertainment provides. And I think entertainment is, is a misnomer. 
really. It is entertaining, but it does so many other things. It's stress relief. It's a way to, you know, release yourself from, you know, what's going on in Mm -hmm. the day-to-day. It's a way to, you know, connect with your family, a way to connect with your friends. So, you know, the importance, I think, can't be understated. And, you know, you really look at, you know, Netflix, which its stock is, you know, soared. You know, you're right. talking numbers like 40%. And it really does show you, you know, the importance. You know, it's not an industry that is um, easily dismissed. Right. And everybody's, you know, I've already run out of Netflix. Sure. <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so yeah, jumping into one of our first topics today, before we get into Gloria's amazing interview, which I am so, again, excited about, uh, you know, we are in a situation where we're just kind of on pins and needles wondering when Hollywood is going to get back into production, because as you just mentioned, Kevin, uh, you've run out of content. A lot of people have been through so much content. Uh, we need more. Right. And so when is that going to come back? How is that going to look in terms of manufacturing the next Mayans or the next homeland? And so from what we're hearing from the trades is that apparently there is a plan that's being worked on at the high level in Hollywood for the past three weeks. And it looks like they're getting ready to make an official presentation. It's like a 20, 30 page document to the governor of California to see if and, and this apparently is in partnership or collaboration with the major guilds, the DGA. And, you know, IATSE and all that to see how we can safely get back to work on set. Yeah. I mean, I think most people want to move forward. There's a lot of conversation. I've been on a lot of these calls. I serve on the Miami Day and Entertainment Advisory Board. Um, I chaired that board for four years and I turned out. We had uh, a call the day before yesterday. And a big part of the call was you know, speaking on what are the protocols going to be, who are the stakeholders, who's involved in, you know, getting the engines rolling. And I think there's two sides. It's a balancing act. You know, one side is, you know, we want to make sure that we're safe. We want to make sure that things are done with the proper protocol. And in that you have, you know, some of the unions, IATSE you mentioned, which is um, you know, a lot of the crews, a lot of the technicians and, you know, those people, um, they want to make sure that what they're doing and how they're doing it is, you know, done in a way where they're well protected. And there's a lot of protocols that were in place before hmm. this coronavirus um, situation happened, meaning, right. you know, you have to have, you know, a set amount of, you know, electric and grips for, you know, a certain budget level. You know, you have so many generators, you have, you know, so much electric that's going on, you know, flags, C-stands that have to be constructed, set designed. So you have to have so many people um, involved for those things to take place. So how do you um, maintain those levels, but at the same time, uh, maintain the safety uh, that's needed in this time? You know, so you're talking about, you know, six feet distance, masks, um, because the minute that someone gets sick, you know, that could, you know, put a tamper and a, a, a dampen on um, any situation moving forward. So, 
Sure. Yeah. Uh, have you heard it? And, and you know, obviously, there, there are different ways of containing this. Not all. I don't think it's going to be a one-size-fits-all approach, depending on again the, the the nature of the production, right? So, a big epic war movie is going to be much different than a very contained, let's say, three-wall sitcom, which is what Anna Perry is going to be working on in July. Have you heard anything from their camp? Uh, I'm sorry. Tyler Perry. So he's going to be ramping yeah, up Tyler in July. Perry. So he's supposed to start. He's, yeah, he's supposed to start shooting pretty soon. They already started bringing people in. And I think a lot of people are looking at, you know, what he's doing as a case study. It's interesting, you know, I went to a talk that Tyler Perry did at uh, NACBE, and he spoke on, you know, each stage of his career and what has helped him to have a stronghold in the industry. And so when you talk about television shows, he's always been in the forefront in terms of, you know, be realize um, his independence to create a roadmap and roadmaps towards uh, moving production. So when he did his first show, he was turned down by mostly everyone. So he pay, he paid for it himself. And the timing just ended up being, you know, perfect because it was around the time of the writer strike. So once again, um, production had slowed down. And he had a whole season of, of, of that show all ready to go. They, you know, put it on air immediately. It was a hit and it moved forward. So in this case, you know, he just recently moved into that new studio, which was formerly a, a military base. And they already had on that military base, um, you know, housing and barracks. So they had the ability to, you know, bring people in and to just have them, um, you know, incubate themselves, you know, t- take tests when they first initially take step in there, uh, wait for hours, see if they're positive, if they're negative, and then create a critical mass to give them the ability to shoot uh, the two shows that they have on Fox. So they're almost at the point where they have, you know, the crews in, um, of course, they're flying in the big stars. And, um, you know, they're almost ready to shoot. And I'm sure they're looking at this as a case study. Uh, right. Not many people can do that. It's the biggest studio in the country. And, right. you know, he just recently moved into that studio, you know, last year. So, again, right place, right time, context, you know. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And everybody's it is amazing, massive, you know, with bated breath. No, they, they definitely are, you know, because he does, like you said, have a, a sort of a unique set in terms of how much land has. I mean, I think it's over 300 acres, uh, you know, with fully functioning homes and barracks because it was a former army base, uh, restaurants, nightclubs, bars, the whole thing. He has everything in there. Uh, so right. it's, it's interesting to see, you know, that's obviously an ideal situation for something like this. And so we'll see how that works versus some of the other studios. I know that uh, Jason Blum was looking to strike a deal with Universal to go back to work on a $6 million genre film around the same time using the Universal lot oh. in California. Yeah, so we'll see how that works. So the idea being that instead of staying on campus at Universal, they would, I guess, rent out a hotel nearby, but similar in the sense that the, the crew and the cast would be quarantined during pre-production, production, and once everything is wrapped, then you can go, I guess, back into civilization again. Yeah, I mean, I was having another conversation with Dean Lyon, who uh, was a visual effects supervisor on Lord of the Rings. He's a producing partner on a lot of my projects. Um Armageddon, 
Independence Day. You know, he's done VFX for so many of the big films. And so uh, one of the calls that he had, the conversation was, you know, how do we, you know, get the actors close enough to each other where, you know, they still have the intimacy that gives that emotional connection. And his response was, you know, I've been doing this forever, you know? And (laughs) so, but, you know, it made me think about Marcus, actually. Uh, Mm -hmm. We had a a masterclass with your DP, and it was interesting to see the the solution that you all had uh, to have Marcus uh, double himself in the same scene. So, you know, you had the green screen behind him and right. uh, then keyed out the, the green screen to, to Marcus himself. So I see a lot of those types of solutions um, in this in, in, in this new uh, environment uh, coming into fruition. Yes, that was, that, I remember that night. That was definitely an experiment. I'm glad it worked. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that was one of the rain scenes and I had Hylia Park in the... Uh, Fitzsimmons Way, which is the old uh, dorm rooms for the jockeys. It was just a crazy night. Uh, but yeah, you know, they, they, the crew and Matt came up with this great idea of this sort of walking green screen behind the character. And it, it actually worked pretty good. And that, so. Yeah, and, and that's what it's going to be, you know, really coming up with creative solutions to, mm-hmm. to move this forward. But when you talk right. about, you know, these big budget films, you talk about IATSE and the unions, you know, it, it is a pull and a tug. You can see, you know, both sides. Now, are they going to run out of content? You know, well, that's, you know, I'm not sure if, you know, we're going to see that. But I'm sure there is, it's a machine. Mm -hmm. And the machine has to be fed, you know. And so um, I know that, you know, we're going to have to see a lot of creative solutions. Uh, One big thing that we spoke of last week, and, you know, I think it's, you know, really, really amazing that, uh, you know, we kind of, held Shane off a bit because it, it was perfect that, uh, you know, animation really is, you know, taking a forefront. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we saw even in our correspondence with Shane afterwards that he said, you know, sub, several of the projects that, you know, seemed a little bit further off for him um, are moving forward faster. So that's saying a lot. And as I said, you know, from, from the top of the key, uh, Animation, I, you know, I see that as, uh, you know, a big saving grace uh, in, in terms of moving forward. That's really, uh, you know, move very quickly now. Uh, as Shane said, you know, projects that maybe two, three years out are now kind of being pushed uh, into a much tighter time frame because just they, they need that content. It's a bit more dependable than the live action stuff. Uh, and so, yeah, before we go to the jump, you know, speaking of, we, we talked a lot about, um, kind of being creative on sets. So apparently one of the solutions here to, to clean sets is that they've introduced this idea of ultraviolet robots that will actually... Yeah, I saw that. Did you see that? Like, they, they look yeah. like, you know, I'm, I made a joke about it. It's like, that should be a prequel to Star Wars. It could be like R2's grandfather as his first job was ultraviolet <laughs> cleaning an apartment you know, or a set. Uh, but it looks very sci-fi. Very, it'd be very cool to go on a set and see like this little robot that's going around with ultraviolet light just cleaning everything. Um, but yeah. that's, you know, the, the lengths that we have to go to, I guess. Yeah. yeah, maybe you can open up your mouth and have the ultraviolet, you know, hit you on the inside. There you go. Maybe your teeth will get whiter too. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. 
but, uh, but yeah, no, it's a lot of crazy stuff. And we have some more stuff to talk about after the jump, but definitely want to get to Gloria Fan's great interview. Uh, she was so fantastic. And then we'll, we'll be back after the jump. Yes, indeed. All right. Gloria, how are you? I'm good. I really enjoyed that. And congratulations <laughs> on having three kids and surviving. Um, you know, like you've actually inspired me. I feel like I haven't accomplished enough. You made a short with your kid. Incredible. Well, it's, it's honestly for me more of just excuses and looking for things to do. So, you know, since I come from the producer production world, it's like, all right, let's make a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Just to eat up the time, and I, but trust me, it's it's been a lot of that because when you have three kids in an apartment, it's basically like it's either that or I've given them everything from acting classes to we've done yoga classes, martial arts, and we do a nighttime Mickey show before they go to bed. So, oh my gosh, <laughs> that yeah. is amazing. I mean, I have two little ones myself, and it truly. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things where it kind of adds perspective. I mean, in a way, I, I feel blessed that I get to spend time with them because, you know, when can we work from home? Usually it's in the office. Mm. So that's been amazing. But also having a, you know, a full-time job and getting everything else, it's, it's, it's tricky. Yeah. No, you're totally right. It is super tricky. Uh, but... I think obviously, you know, in, in to try to make the best of everything, we always look for the silver lining in these things, right? And the fact that you can spend more time at home with your family and have more of these sort of moments where in the normal course of our workday is just impossible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Exactly. So, thank you. But obviously, you know, Gloria, I want to talk a little bit about you. Uh, this is MMFM Digital, and, and we do a lot in terms of the life journey of folks that work in the industry. And, you know, you have such an incredible resume of everything that you've done. Um, but, you know, we want to take it back a little bit. Where, where are you from originally? So, uh, originally, I, you know, was born in New York. I always say that because it just sounded so cool. But I did actually most of my growing up in Southern California in Orange County. And, you know, and then went to UCLA. And I think that's where kind of the bug to get into this business started. Uh, but, yeah, you know, and then grew up from immigrant parents you know my mom is vietnamese and my dad is chinese and so you know i think that's kind of really created an interesting foundation of you know what what is it like kind of being uh you know a person of color growing up in orange county and thinking like wait we could we could make movies we could create television series it was something that felt very foreign um and i feel fortunate that i was able to kind of find great mentors to say this this can happen. Yeah, no, that's that's amazing, and that you're so fortunate, and you know the folks that have that because you know I always say that this is a mentorship business and it's an apprenticeship business. So really finding, I guess, what we call our industry elders to kind of show us the way is so key and so critical. Uh, and especially, like you said, when you're a person of color, when you're a minority, uh, there's so few opportunities still today. So the fact that you're doing everything that you're doing, I think, is just amazing. Uh, so so congrats on that, and then you know kind of. As you were growing up, when did you start to think that, well, I could do this for a living? You know, it really, it wasn't until much later. Uh, I would say it probably was in, was in college and being at UCLA and kind of seeing other people. You know, I remember 
the gal who lived across from my dorm and she's like, oh, I'm interning at a place where I get to read scripts. And it was wow. like, I didn't even know what the word script meant. Like that's how little I was exposed to it. And immediately the kind of the bug came and the curiosity came and you know, you kind of, I guess we always do look back and I think back of just when I was in high school, I was writing plays, I was putting together productions, but I never called it, I never called it that. It was almost a hobby and it was fun. And, you know, homework assignments, I all, when a homework was assi a homework assignment would be to write a paper, I found my group and I were like, hey, wouldn't it be interesting to do a video on this and let's like mm. shoot something? And so we would shoot a short instead of writing a paper. And at the time we just thought we were being creative and different. And I think it was kind of nurturing that curiosity or that interest of storytelling. Wow. Yeah, and I think that's a lot of reason why most of us get into the industry, regardless of what our ultimate goal or discipline is, this sort of innate desire to tell a story. Uh, I think is really what drives everyone to keep doing this uh, through thick and thin, through ups and downs. And and so, you know, when it comes to sort of uh, Hollywood, what was your first big break? What would you say was your first real entree into the business? Um, the reason I'm thinking is there's, I think I would just say my very first job, which I got making zero, you know, it started literally in the Xerox copy. I was an intern at the time. I just graduated college. I interviewed for an assistant position. Um, it was to work at a production company that was making this great Sundance movie called Clock Watchers that had, uh, I believe, like Tony Collette, Lisa Kudrow. And I went into this interview thinking like, okay, I just graduated college, I'm ready. And uh, they're like, so you would be so great as an intern here. And I'm thinking, oh, I was here for the assistant gig, but I was so timid and afraid and I was like I'll take it okay internship like that's fine and so you know um started as an intern on that show as they went into pre-production and when they say that and and I tell a lot of our, my interns now is you take every opportunity and you see what you can make of it. So literally I'm making Xerox copies again and a producer was there going, oh my goodness, like I really need an assistant. I can't believe like I'm just running solo here. I'm like, interview me. Right. <laughs> so, uh, so I got, I, so I did, and I got that job, and I became, you know, her assistant. So, it's, you know, would I have done anything differently? Do I wish that I was able to kind of have told the very first interview that, wait a minute, no, I'm here for an assistant position. Right. Maybe, right. but at the same time, you know, I took the opportunity to be that intern and it grew into something more and more and more to, you know, and to where I am today. So I'm thankful for it. Of course. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's such a great story because, you know, everyone, they always say there's no one way to greatness. Greatness is the way. Right. So I think that everyone oh finds their ultimate path to where they want to be. And, you know, so uh, you've, you've been with Fox 21 television for a while now, right? Uh, it's over four years. Yes. Wow. So on to my fifth. Uh, and I look forward 
to, you know, growing even more roots because prior to that, I was at a company called Mosaic for 16 years. Wow. So that's where I did a lot of my growing up. I feel so honored to have, you know, been part of that. So yes, as, as excited as I am to say that I'm on to my fifth year here, I'm looking forward to, you know, continuing growing roots because, um, I, you know, I really enjoy, I, I enjoy the things that we do. And for me personally, I like growing the roots and being with a place and just cultivating those relationships. Uh, but again, as you say, everyone has their own path and this has been mine. Yeah. And it's, it's been amazing the run you've had and, and your assistant, Daniela, was very nice to send us a few clips. And I'd like to start with Mayans. That's, you know, it's, it's one of those power. And we talk about stories about color and minorities. You know, how does Mayan kind of play into that? You know, just kind of propping up certain cultures in, in the U.S.? You know, I'm so proud of that show. It's the it's the spinoff of Sons of Anarchy that Kurt Sutter had created, and you know when we were first kind of thinking about let's do a spinoff of this incredible show, what story should we tell? And if you were to ever rewatch the pilot of Sons of Anarchy, which I highly recommend, it still holds you know holds up to this day as if no time has passed. The Mayans were in episode one hmm. and, you know, um, and of course throughout the series. And so it kind of made so much sense. And what's interesting is being that the Mayans um, are a Latino motorcycle gang and kind of telling that story. And the first thing Kurt did was want to find and finding an incredible partner. And we brought on Elgin James, who is this incredible filmmaker, made this beautiful movie called Little Birds uh, that was on, you know, at Sundance and has an incredible story himself. It was just the partnership that, you know, made in heaven. And, you know, I think that there's something incredible of being able to tell stories where pretty much everyone is a person of color and the cultural elements and all of that. But at the same time, you know, it also, there's a sensitivity of let's make sure that we're also telling an authentic story, but also not relying on just simply violence and, you know, um, you know, drugs and, you know, things like that, like a little bit more of the negative elements and always what we come down to is it's telling an authentic story of a very specific um, group similar to the roots of Sons of Anarchy, where that was also telling a story of, you know, uh, this, you know, motorcycle club. Yeah, no, you're so right, because I think a lot of it does come down to and something obviously that you deal with character development and being so specific about these characters, because it is very easy to get into the cliches of the, the obviously being from Miami, the typical drug dealer story. And, you know, we hear so many of those. Uh, but, you know, there's been some beautiful shows told out of our culture as well. You know, Que Pasa USA, that uh, good friend Luis Santero wrote, who's uh, uh, very good friends with my partner, Patty Arias, uh, which at one time was actually produced by public 
public television in the late seventies and early eighties. Yeah. By a grant about a Cuban American family, just a working class family in Miami in the early eighties. And, uh, to the point that it got on the cover of, of TV guide as one of the best American sitcoms. So, you know, every time you're able to do something like, you know, Mayans or sons of anarchy or Kibasa USA, to me, it just, it gives me goosebumps because that's, I feel it. Like I feel the culture, I feel it permeating. Uh, and like I said, at the end of it, we always say you want to tell a good story. It has to be exciting. It has to be interesting. But I think the more that we can create this palette of what America is today, I think the better. And you've done such a great job of that. Yeah. So. No, I'm really proud of that show and then kind of the things that they're dealing with and we're, you know, in the middle of figuring out season three and continuing to kind of have that challenge of how do we, you know, create a grounded story and this one is, you know, and where they've set a fictitious town but it's on the you know, on the border, you know, yeah. between Mexico and America and kind of things that happen at these border towns. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, and those are those are things that obviously such hot button issues right now uh, in terms of our our national politics, I guess. Uh, but yeah, no, and, and and there's there's so many shows, and like I said, I wish we had time to show all of them, but I did want to show a little bit of Homeland. <laughs> so cool, Claire Danes does such a great job on that. What a great show! Oh my goodness. I, I could take incredibly, like pretty much no credit. It's just the brains of, you know, from Alec Gonza to the writing team. It's It's been a dream, just incredible. And mm. seeing kind of everyone post yesterday, finally letting the world see the series finale. It's, it's, it's incredible. And I'm, I was so, so glad that... Um, you know, people that had no idea that I was involved in it was just like posting, you know, how much they enjoyed it. It was just incredibly rewarding. Yeah, yeah. There, there's so few shows that hit the zeitgeist of culture nowadays because there is so much content out there that, you know, when a show like Homeland that had such an incredible run and you can tell that, you know, there's such a strong fan base out there and everyone's commenting on it and it must be an incredible feeling for you right now. Um, but also, you know, a little bittersweet because now, right, the series is over. It's, so. it's so, so bittersweet because, again, just working with that entire team, it was some of the best creative minds involved. Yeah, yeah, and that's and, and that really must be the pleasure is, you know, when you see how these stories unfold and they break and the writers coming up with these amazing, amazing storylines and characters and situations, uh, season after season, because it's hard after a while, right, to keep the show fresh. Yeah, and, you know, I think what was so incredible about, sh uh, about Homeland is... You know, they were so bold where the first three seasons, of course, surrounded, you know, with Brody and to, you know, to come to a moment going, OK, we've told that story, but there's still more story to tell on Carrie. I mm. think and then to successfully season after season, you know, um, create storylines that felt beyond even of the moment they were prescient sometimes and there would be you know we I remember getting on calls where it's like oh my goodness this happened we're gonna need to create a Chiron saying this was shot before you know 
the real right. event happened. Right. You know, things like that. It's, it, it's pretty, pretty incredible. I mean, you know, you, I, to the terminology of even fake news, they were writing about those words before it became a hashtag in a way. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's amazing how some of these creators, these, these showrunners that come up with these shows, and like you said, they happen sometimes two, three seasons before the actual live event. Uh, I mean, you know, everyone looks at House of Cards now and goes, oh my God, <laughs> you know? But, you know, and, and likewise with Homeland, it's like, you know, there, there, there are these sort of moments that you wonder how prescient are these writers, these showrunners, that kind of... Well, you almost, know what it is, is it's that... Um, of, it's research and it's dedication and they, they put in so much um, they you know they do they look in they you know interview people they talk to you know very specific kind of experts it's you know it doesn't just come out of thin air there's a lot of hard work that comes out of it yeah, no, you're right. It, it is so much work, uh, you know, in that writer's room and coming up with all these amazing storylines and plots. And, and like I said, doing it season after season and, and having it all be of such a high quality, uh, you know, obviously testament only to the writers and to the, the, the filmmakers and the creators, but to the executives behind the shows as well. Right. Uh, you know, because there's so much going on on your end as well uh, and overseeing multiple shows. So, you know, so what's 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 next for you? I know there's there's a, a few shows in the pipeline i know things are a little weird right now because of the shutdown uh but sort of how do you kind of see your next six to 12 months in terms of what you're developing well i am very very excited with um our season three of genius that's another show that we worked on it's the nat geo show that we work with ron howard and brian grazer and his team at imagine uh season one was uh, einstein season two pablo picasso season three aretha franklin wow so uh we couldn't be more excited to tell her story and we're working with renowned playwright susan laurie parks and you know anthony hemingway uh directed you know the first episode and several episodes actually of that show Cynthia Erivo has been just incredible. Mm. I remember when, you know, I was there when we were shooting the first episode and, you know, I had the pleasure of hearing just Cynthia singing on set. Like yeah. it wasn't, it was, you know, it wasn't playback, which, you know, obviously like we had in preparation, she was, she was belting it out. She was, you know, hitting her inner Aretha Franklin. Yeah, no, she's such a talent. Um, on our podcast, Screen Heat Miami, I had the good fortune of interviewing Gregory Allen Howard, who wrote Harriet, uh, as well as Remember the Titans, and he had such amazing things to say about her, and, and what an incredible performance, and music, and everything. It's just such a talent. So it's so, so amazing that you're getting a chance to work with her, for sure. Jeez. Yeah, and you know, and I think to also showcase a, um, you know, Aretha Franklin as a genius, is going to be incredibly exciting because if you know uh as we had developed einstein and picasso what was interesting is that these other geniuses what makes a genius is definitely the people that surrounds them and you know with with einstein there was the highlight of how his wife 
you know, Maleva was very, very influential to him and was a genius unto her, you know, unto her own self, as well mm -hmm. as Picasso, the, you know, the people who surrounded him. And so it was, it was you know, so I think to, to be able to highlight a, you know, a female as well as a person of color, as well as an American, there's, you know, uh, all of these things is going to be a first for, for season three. So I, I couldn't be more excited. So that's going to be upcoming. Wow. Um, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, we have a few other things that another show I work on is Queen of the South, which right. is going on season five which is really just incredible as well. Uh, that's on USA. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just proud of every one of my shows. Yeah. Yeah. They're all your babies, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that's good. So I'm, I'm obviously so excited for you and all the work that you're doing. Uh, and I know that you can't wait to get down to Miami in person <laughs> so we can all hang out. Hopefully. Yeah. I would love that so much. And like, yeah, and let me know, you know, if there's anything else. And also, um, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't know if you have questions, but we're, the, you know, I'm happy to kind of also, if there's anything to talk about of, you know, just young, you know, young directors or young writers and kind of how, you know, how it would be helpful for them to break into the business and things like that. Um, you know, happy to kind of, Right. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. So, you know, we, we have been getting a few comments. Uh, there's a little bit of a delay just because of the Internet. Um, so I'm trying to just kind of scroll through while we're talking, uh, you know, but, you know, obviously some of the questions that usually tend to pop up and, and you know, obviously knowing that some of our crowd is from Miami with a lot of creative talent. But, you know, there uh, isn't as much structure in Miami as there is in L.A. Uh, so, you know, what, what would a young director have to do to, you know, to just kind of or a writer, let's say, to get someone like yours a attention uh you know there's always talks about do you take unsolicited material how do you take pitches that kind of stuff sure and you know it pains me when i have to say that we don't take unsolicited material it's it's such a shame that a few bad eggs in the business have kind of made it difficult for us uh to do that, but there are opportunities and ways in, you know, and I do look towards our various kind of diversity um, and inclusion programs. Uh, you know, Disney has, like every place has an incredible program from Disney to HBO to, um, you know, NBC Universal, Amazon, they all have. And what's exciting about these programs is that there is a bond and a camaraderie within each where there's a lot of communication that's going on. And one would kind of make assumptions that everyone is so private and um but when it comes to these programs it's actually the complete opposite there you know there's interaction of how can we just support the entire you know each other's program the you know the attendance of it so i do recommend looking into those and seeing kind of where those opportunities lie and also i think it's it's about just not being afraid and continuing to your writer keep writing keep wanting to tell your stories 
and you know, participating even as they listen on to this, they're already doing the right thing um, by engaging themselves and asking this question. That's already step one. And then, mm. um, you know, I think as directors, I think you're a perfect example and testament to that of your, you know, of the water bottle where, no, and I really mean it. Thank you. It's, it's just with what you have i mean obviously it sometimes it does feel so far and so you know and it's just so hard to attain but it's those baby steps and the kind of and it's the dream and what i do love about the business that we're in is we're all we're all so passionate and a little crazy and what mm. i mean by that i can't imagine doing anything else other than what I do, mm. I, I'm, and hopefully my sincerity is coming through where I love to read. I love to get to know new voices and to cultivate it and discover it. And I think that I'm not alone in that because the only way to succeed in this business is to just keep trying and, um, and to kind of find different opportunities uh, and, you know, and keep telling the stories. Yeah, no, that's that's beautifully put, no, for sure. And I think that obviously we all need to hear that, especially in these times where we feel like, you know, what's gonna happen next? Is the business gonna come back? How's it gonna come back? What's gonna be our new place in the world? Uh, but like you said, there's so many little things that we could be doing on our own just to keep telling these stories. And, you know, it's, it's interesting that you said that genius surrounds itself with interesting people. So I think for folks that are at home now, even if it's your kids or your significant other, you can find your muse, right? Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So, you know, and obviously you, you touched a little bit on Disney and I know at Fox 21 now, you know, are you able to tap into more resources, do you feel now, uh, because of the merger recently, or are you still guys kind of operating in your own space? No, no, I definitely, it's been really exciting kind of, being part of a Disney television studio right now, um, DTS as we call it. Mm. And um, there there has been, you know, more opportunity in the sense that, you know, now we have our brothers and sisters at ABC Studios and we always had, you know, 20th, um, but also the various platforms are now, you know, we have six internal platforms being ABC, Freeform, Hulu, Disney Plus, National Geographic, FX. It's really just exciting. So to have all of that, um, as well as a really robust, as I said, you know, diversity and inclusion groups. So it's, it has been really exciting. That's awesome. No, it's so so great to hear that there are now so many more opportunities because it seems like the industry has been kind of merging and feels like it's becoming smaller, but I believe that it is going to open up more opportunities in the future for sure. So I'm, I'm excited to hear about all of that. And, and, you know, I'll end with one last question about, I guess, going back to us and, you know, in terms of production, things are weird because, you know, a lot of that is driven by incentives, but, you know, we had a very popular show on USA called Burn Notice for several years that everyone loved. Uh, so, you know, would you be interested in developing shows, more shows that took place in Miami uh, and sort of... And, and, you know, would you sort of tell folks to continue to creating those stories 
regardless of looking at the incentives? Uh, or would you say, look, try to find a show story that can be shot in Georgia, Louisiana, or, you know, some of the places where production is more feasible right now? You know, I, in my opinion, I would not be worried about incentives and where to set it. You know, I think that stories really need to come from a character and a creative element. Let other people figure out where it needs to go. Like that, that's that, you know, part of me feels like that's putting a cart before the horse. It's if, you know, um, if it is a story that you want to tell in Miami, great. If it's a story that you want to tell in outer space, that's okay too. I really, really wouldn't be thinking about that. I really, and I think that also it's, it's not about chasing that next story of, you know, when Stranger Things came out, which, you know, I am a huge fan of everyone's like, Oh, what's the next Stranger Things? What's the Mm. next Game of Thrones? What's the next, you know, it's always, what's the next of this? And you know, if you really think about when those shows came, they weren't thinking, oh, we're the, we're going to be the next whatever. Right. They just said, this is a story we want to tell. Right. So I think that's kind of really where it comes down to. And again, I think, yeah, look at your muse. Is it your three kids? Is it, you know, right. where you grew up? Is it, you know, um, you know, from... Or is it a story, you know, that you kind of read when you were a child? It could be anything. Yeah. No, you're right. So, yeah, definitely don't let your creativity limit you, for sure. Um, But I I think that's very well put. And this, I mean, the time has really flown. And I don't know how much time you have. I don't want to keep you too long. I know you've had a busy day. Um, You know, and still you're three hours behind us. So, but this has been such a great ride. And just, there's so much great content in this. And I think for, especially for the younger writers and aspiring filmmakers and producers out there that want to break into the business to kind of keep focused on their creative tracks and just kind of keep pushing and creating stories. Exactly. Because you know what? Everyone has to start somewhere. And also, oftentimes when I congratulate my friends on, you know, their first successes, I'm oftentimes reminded that it didn't happen overnight. It happened Mm. over hours and hours of working on several, you know, stories and scripts and numerous rewrites. Uh, It's it's very few and far between that, you know, that anything, anything happened overnight. Usually I'm saying congratulations that people finally recognized their hard work. Yeah, no, you're totally right. You know, going back to Greg Howard, I think he wrote the original Harriet in the mid nineties. Uh, so it was his, fir- his first commissioned screenplay, if you can imagine. Uh, and they just had, a, yeah, they had their Oscar run last year. And we've had so many stories like that. People now that can't seem to stop working, but it really took them almost a decade of finding their voice and their footing in the industry. So that's, that is fantastic advice. And I, I just think that everything you've said, uh, you know, so much knowledge, you know, for our, for our listeners and for our viewers that, you know, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you again, hopefully the next time we'll be in Miami <laughs> and we can, yeah and that would be so great but but Gloria you've been amazing and I just want to thank you so much again for your time and for joining us on this uh, on this chat today oh right back to you so great and I hope everyone is staying safe and healthy yes we're trying and in the meantime we'll be making more little water bottles <laughs> oh 
um, without ads, since it's free anyway, might as well get the one without ads. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I've uh, been trying to get into a couple shows. The main reason I got it, just out of pure curiosity, is that uh, there's going to be a, uh, a parody show based on the Kardashian family uh, starring oh. Kirby Jenner. Did you hear about that? No. Oh, man. Who's so, Kirby uh, Jenner? So Kirby, <laughs> Kirby Jenner basically <laughs> started as a, a parody Instagram account. And he basically was, uh, he self-proclaimed lost twin brother of one of the Jenner's. <laughs> oh, that's great. I love and it. And so okay. he literally, he, he photoshops himself into like GQ magazine, you know, with the Jenner's and it's like, you know, basically like the lost stepchild. And, but his Photoshop skills are like amazing. So it literally looks like he's right there, um, you know, with, 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 uh, with the Jenner. Uh, family and calls himself the twin uh and so eventually i guess you know he became so popular he has like over a million subscribers or whatever followers that you know the actual kardashian and jenner family started following him and commenting on his account uh and oh, now wow. apparently yeah quibi's making it a they're show. never they're, they're never a family to let anything you know oh, just no. go <laughs> every stone they're turning so mm-hmm. if they could smell an extra buck or two they're there <laughs> yeah and so, yeah, that's that show is going to be premiering on Quibi on Sunday. So that's one of the reasons I got it. It just looks really interesting. Uh, and I just think that his uh, his Instagram is hilarious. But uh, the other reason is that, you know, obviously we're researching the platform just to see kind of how it works. And uh, I, I saw a couple of episodes of this Agua Donkeys series this morning, uh, written by M.P. Cunningham and Jerk Jackson, which is also in conjunction with Funny or Die. Um, and it's just very kind of like deadpan humor, very similar to uh, Napoleon Dynamite. You remember that film? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh-huh. Very kind of like small town, just like these two losers working for a pool company. And they're just like, you know, just going through life. And there's these little, again, five, ten minute uh, slice of life things about the most monotonous things you can imagine. Like, you know, they're cleaning out a motel and then they ask the owner if they can jump off the roof. Um, and he says that no one's done it successfully since 1970 and that he would let them do it for 50 bucks. So he essentially, they essentially, yeah, they go to a wakeboarding shop and they decide to take their wakeboard off layaway so they can get the 50 bucks to try to jump off this motel. (laughs) And that's literally the whole thing. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's cool. It's interesting, but you know, am I going to stick with it once the free trial is over? I don't know yet. I guess that's. Well, ultimately look at the model of what networks utilize to um, really create a signature, it is, you know, finding a flagship. So an example of that is, you know, Hulu was flailing for so long until um, they got their big hit, you know? And so, and that was years, you know? and that actually, you know, one of my, my favorite shows. Um, and so um, once you get a flagship show, then right. people tune in, they up, they'll pay any amount of money, you know, to right. connect with that flagship show. Um, right. And, you know, speaking of, you know, things rising organically, uh, there was a story that I read, um, and this is really interesting because it was birthed from, uh, you know, this whole, you know, coronavirus um, 
um, time period is uh, a show by John Krasinski. Right. And he had a uh, uh, YouTube show that he uh, that he was doing that, you know, he started it to counter um, a lot of the, um, you know, the bad news and the bad messaging, uh, uh, you know, that uh, goes with, uh, you know, this environment. And so, you know, it was really popular. It became very, very popular, especially, you know, during this quarantine moment. And uh, he sold the show. He, sh- right. he sold it to, there was a bidding war and he sold it to CBS Viacom. And so a lot of people, a lot of people are up in arms and there's a paywall now, actually. Um, There's a lot of people up in arms because, you know, they feel cheated in a way they're saying um, that, you know, why would someone who started this for free sell out? And, you know, for me, this is a long stand. There is something else that goes along with it. Uh, He sold the show and he... Uh, is going to now serve as executive producer. So he's not going to be hosting every episode. Uh, he's a very busy actor so and director, actor, writer, and director. So I'm sure that he has a lot of other obligations. Um, I love his show, Jack Ryan, which is on, um, which is on Amazon. Uh, Amazon Prime. Yeah, Amazon Prime. And of course, The Quiet Place, which he directed, you know, co-wrote um, and starred in. I mean, he's just an amazing talent, you know, and then, you know, you go all the way back to um, to uh, um, the office, you know, mm-hmm. so he's amazingly talented. So I'm sure he has a lot of obligations, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who are crying bloody murder. And, you know, for us artists and us creators um, and, you know, production company owners, you know, we, we toil for years and actors because I'm an actor as well. I mean, we we toil for years with uh, one project or the other, whether we get paid or whether we don't, you know, if you're a doctor and you go in for surgery, you expect to pay that doctor for the surgery. You know, if you hire an attorney, well, yeah, you're going to pay that attorney. I have three attorneys. So I, you know, I understand how, how that works. Um, If you hire, we just built, you know, an addition onto my, to my house, um, an office uh, onto the house, you know, because of, you know, these times and things that are going on. So yeah, we have to, we have to pay the contractors. So people expect to get paid. So why should he not get paid for his trade, for what he does for a living, you know? And so that's what I have to say about, you know, people that are, you know, up in arms about him selling his intellectual property his content. Now he did give it away for free and it happened organically. You know, oftentimes, you know, they'll give away a product for free to get you to try it and see if you like it. And then, you know, maybe you're hooked on it or maybe you're not, I don't know. No one's crying bloody murder about that either. Procter and Gamble creates a new product and a new type of cereal or something like that. And you get, you know, a couple of free samples. You're not going to complain and say, Oh, why don't they give me free samples forever? (laughs) You know, and so um, I've seen a couple of episodes and they're, they're great, you know, so, you know, kudos to him. But there is a big controversy about it. And this yeah. is an example of something that was birthed from, you know, this you know time period specifically. 
Yeah, no, look, it was it was born out of necessity because him, like many other celebrities, are sitting home twiddling their thumbs. They want to stay creative. They want to connect with their audience, right? That's that's part of your brand as an actor. Your value in Hollywood is based on how much the audience re- reacts to you uh, and to your work, right? So, you know, in the time like this, you want to stay connected. And he came up with this great concept. I, I have seen it as well. It's hilarious and it's it's really heartfelt and it's it's definitely it was much needed, you know, during the depths of quarantine. And I agree with you 100%. Look, we're, we're artists, but we're also business people. There's, there's an old saying in Hollywood, it's not show friends, it's show business. You know? That's right. And that's, that's the world we're living in. You know? There's nothing's for free. Uh, and even though he was doing it as a gesture initially of goodwill, perhaps, you know, at the end of the day, he was also working on his brand. He was also connecting with his audience. It was a marketing tool. And if he was able to sell that and make a buck, great for him. You know, like you can't, you can't all of a sudden turn on the guy because, you know, he decided to, you know, uh, make money off of what it is he does to make money, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because he has kids, he has bills to pay, you know, just like anybody else. They do, you know, obviously, yeah. You know, his bills are probably different than ours. Plus, you know, he does have a a working wife as well. Who's, who's quite talented um, in in Emily Blunt. So that's, (laughs) that's a power couple if I ever saw one. Yeah. But but, you know, you build, that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. You build Look and and look, we just talked about Tyler Perry in the intro. Look how much that guy's built, you know, and he started doing his plays for free at churches, living out of the back of his car. Yeah, and, and that's right. You think he's gonna he's gonna turn down a paycheck, you know, because you know he has a maybe a spiritual message or something uplifting as part of his movies or his TV series? Absolutely not. He's a businessman, right? Yeah. So yeah. so yeah, there's absolutely. No, I just think it's much ado about nothing. It's the internet getting riled up, per, clutching the pearls over sheer stupidity. To be honest. Yeah. I just think people have to understand and know it. And it senses me because, you know, again, I run a multimedia company. So we do, we do branding and things like that. My my company works with companies, you know, corporations, organizations, what have you. And the expectation is, you know, that, you know, that we, we are paid for those services. Um, We do have entertainment offerings and, um, you know, ultimately, you know, you, have an aim to at some point get paid for those services as well because you're doing the work you know there are a lot of pro bono offerings that we do and you know that's more often than not made explicitly clear up front but for the most part you know for 20 years i've been in this industry so you know i've amassed a history of Work, um, network, contacts, ways of doing things, just like anyone else that applies their trade. So, you know, people should get paid um, for what they put in. You uh, know? I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's like everyone uh, deserves uh, a wage. Everyone deserves to be a professional in their field. And, you know, obviously acting in the creative industries is absolutely no different to whether you're an actor, writer, a janitor, uh, you know, an architect, whatever. Uh, You know, and if, you know, I like to say if if we're working for free, we're not really working for free. We're either doing it on spec or we're auditioning. 
in the hopes that we're going to get paid <laughs> for our talent eventually. Uh, and I think, you know, yeah. there's nothing, though, that even if you are an established star like Krasinski and it seemed like you were just doing this, you know, to kind of lighten the mood, uh, it doesn't mean that, you know, this isn't part of your profession. So, you know, Godspeed to him and his new show. Uh, the only thing I will warn is if he's not going to be starring in it, I'm not sure how good the ratings are going to be uh, because he was part of the whole draw. But I guess we'll have to see who they who they hire. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure, you know, he crafted it. So you know, be in the vein of what, what he's already done. Um, and, you know, and this is kind of like the last thing. We just spoke about Joe Rogan and what's happened with his show. His oh, podcast yeah. had to start at, at, at the first podcast. Mm. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, no, it definitely did. I mean, you had a, uh, this is a guy whose primary job is as a, a stand-up comedian and an actor. And, you know, like a lot of these guys, you know, even Mark Maron, who started these podcasts really as a form of self-expression, you know, as a form of, you know, a psychoanalysis of their own lives and their own work and just getting that out there. But, you know, as they kept building this audience, as they became more popular, the thing started to monetize. You know, they started to get sponsors. They had revenue. Now they have a staff, they have all these things and, you know, you cannot blame any of them for making money. I mean, Joe Rogan just signed a huge deal with Spotify for like a hundred million dollars to go exclusive with them starting September. And that's, yeah. that's a gigantic deal. You know, he's basically going to be the Howard Stern of podcasting and it's, uh, it's incredible to see his rise. And I was in LA, as you know, in February, just before the lockdown. And I had a chance to go out and see one of his shows at the comedy store and just, you know, this was like a midweek show. I wasn't expecting a huge crowd and it was just packed to the gills. And it was mainly his podcast audience. You know, he uses the podcast to promote his live shows. And it was just an electric atmosphere in, in the middle of the week. And obviously he was there. He had a lot of young up and coming comedians opening for him. And even Judd Apatow uh, went up uh, and, and did a set. So it was, you know, it's just amazing to see what he's built as well. Yeah. So love him or hate him, you know, $100 million is nothing to sneeze at. And to see a deal like that happen, you know, during this time, um, you know, as a, as, a, as a test to, you know, his ability um, that has been crafted, you know, over time. So um, speaking of crafting, you know, we're into our mid 30s in terms of our podcast and we're still churning them out. So yeah. you know, we'd love to thank everyone that has tuned in so far. You know, our um, our get our fans that have followed us so far and then people yeah. who uh, will follow us in the future. Um, we are on this week to week basis um, sort of have a, a backlog of people that we want to interview. So um, not yet uh, reveal who's going to have who's going to come next week. But uh, for certain, um, we're very much looking forward to it. So uh, we'd like to thank all the listeners. I'm Kevin Sharpley. I'm J.L. Martinez. Screen Heat Miami. That's right. Next week. <laughs> That's right. And we always say until next time, happy streaming.